Hi, Bella. Hi, Irina. We have a really exciting topic. We're going to be talking about things that are typically not supposed to be talked about. We're going to be talking about money, politics, and religion. Ooh. Hey, it's Bella. Just here to tell you we have a special bonus clip at the end, so make sure to stay on after we say goodbye. Enjoy the show. We are at another exciting location today. We are in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, and we are actually at a local radio station, KSNO. K-Snow. K-Snow. Uh, and we actually just did a spot on, on the radio, which we are so grateful to the host and honor, Andrew Scott. And um, we are going to interview him on moments that define us. So he's going to tell us about his defining moments. Welcome, Andrew Scott, to Moments That Define Us. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So Andrew is founder of Open Mind Project. And as I mentioned before, he manages the K-Snow and his company, Wild Goose LLC, acquired this company, this radio two years ago. Um, so I think, Andrew, I wanted we wanted to start with the Open Mind Project. If you can tell us why. Why did you decide to start? Or maybe let's start with what it is. The Open Mind Project is a database of world religions online, but really it's a cross-cultural and inter-religious diplomatic project that's trying to bring people from different backgrounds together to learn about each other and with the hope of finding common ground. So across scientific disciplines and across religious boundaries, geographical boundaries and ideological boundaries. When did you start this nonprofit? The 501c3 was launched in 2014 alongside the website, which we launched in 2014. But the concept had sort of been percolating and in sort of a creative process going back to 2008, 2009. And it definitely grew out of kind of my unique uh, childhood upbringing and definitely sort of a bizarre set of events in my academic career. That's awesome. Can you dive a little bit deeper into what inspired you? The personal story of mine that it grew out of was really around getting raised between my mother and my grandparents. I didn't know my dad growing up. I didn't meet him till I was in my late teens, maybe 16. I met him the first time. He's Greek. So my mom was living in Greece when I was conceived and she decided not to marry my dad decided to have me in Scotland. So I was born in Scotland, then we went to France, and then I got to Colorado at six months old. Obviously, I don't remember back that far. But I was raised, I just was moving around a lot. Then my mother left me with my grandparents, and she went to England. So I was with my grandparents for a year and a half, and then they sent me to England when I was about five or six, and was there for about a year, and then my mom sent me back to my grandparents. So anyways, I was raised between these very two, you know, two different value systems. I think my grandparents thought my mother was crazy and my mother definitely thought my grandparents were crazy. Mm. Just as far as my mom was sort of a far out hippie 
with multiple kind of gurus and spiritual teachers. And my grandparents were more product of their generation, um, would have identified as Christian. Mm-hmm. And, but my grandmother was this amazing woman, Mary Hugh Scott. She wrote a book called The Passion of Being Woman. She was a feminist, uh, especially as she got older. I mean, she was the smartest person I think I ever met. Um, very passionate about the Greek myths and yeah, she was, she would have definitely called herself a Christian and had a a relationship with Jesus for herself. But she was like, Oh, I won't, I don't want to go to churches until all women can be priests. And, um, that's amazing. That's amazing that in that, you know, generation, right. Where women weren't allowed as much as we are now. Well, that's debatable, but you know, that she had that stand. I, I really love it. So that's the, the personal sort of story background. I think ultimately there's something in me that's just trying to bridge divides because I was just a kid and the fact that they really were talking bad about each other. Um, you know, I was just, I was stuck in the middle mm-hmm. between these people that just didn't see eye to eye on hardly anything. And I think, so there's probably something deep in there that, that makes me want to help people get along better. But I was studying international relations at New York university in 2009, planning on becoming a U.S. foreign service agent, like taking the foreign service exam. And when I was doing this intensive international affairs course, we did this crisis simulation, which was regarding the Israel-Palestine situation. And I think ultimately, like, it made me decide I needed to go study these religious beliefs, basically the Abrahamic belief systems, especially because it was just obvious that religion and ideology were behind a lot of global conflict and human behavior. I mean, I had studied anthropology and sociology as an undergrad. And yeah, ultimately, it, it seems quite apparent that, you know, human behavior is largely determined by these uh, ideologies, sort of religion acting as a social conditioning system. It's so interesting, you know, the story that you shared, you know, growing up, you saw, right, the divide within your own family between your grandparents and your mom. And then, so because you said, oh, it started back in 2008, but I think it started within your brain somewhere back when you were growing up, you saw the divide. And then you said, I wanted to, you know, I'm sure you didn't want to see your, your parents and grandparents, you know, your mom and your, her parents fight. And so you wanted to do something. And that's amazing that you know, years later, you created this this amazing project, because I do think that, um, you know, I grew up religious. I'm not long story like I, I think, you know, religious is amazing and I do believe in God and everything. But I think church plays such a such a part in in shaping people's mind. Right. And so um, when people believe in something so profoundly, then opening their mind to something else it's not possible so i'm really grateful that that you created this project so what are your opinion of where we are now as far as like religion and science and and, and all of that and how they um like connected connected or disconnected i would say 
science, Western science is an extension of Abrahamic religion in large part. I mean, if you look at astronomy and physics and quantum physics, I mean, Big Bang, Big Bang cosmology, which is still largely dominant in the field of astrophysics and physics and quantum physics, um, Big Bang cosmology begins with a religious assumption. And that religious assumption is that there is a beginning. From an observation standpoint, it doesn't seem that there's actually a beginning anywhere, right? The single-celled organism existed, it split into two, and then, this is according to evolutionary biology, it's very hard to identify an actual beginning, right? I mean, the, the chicken or the egg conversation still hasn't really been settled. So ultimately, almost all of these scientific endeavors were building massive telescopes, spending billions of dollars trying to find the beginning of time, right? Because we have a belief already mm. that God is a creator God that created something from nothing, creation ex nihilo. So that's, you know, science is in large part an extension of the belief systems that it comes out of, I would say. I mean, certainly a lot of religious, you know, there's theologians that would say that science is not supportive. I mean, there's there's atheism. There's scientists like Richard Dawkins who's trying to prove that there's no God. He is constantly using evolutionary biology to deny a quote-unquote religious concept. But I think that's all based on a certain definition of God. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to disprove certain definitions of God. Do you, do you believe in God? It, it depends how we define God. How do you define God? My favorite definition of God is Anselm of Canterbury's definition of God. So Anselm of Canterbury was the Archbishop of Canterbury about a about well a thousand years ago and his definition of god is that than which nothing greater can be conceived that than which nothing greater can be conceived that's a great definition mm -hmm. i can't disprove it so i definitely believe that there's something beyond my mm -hmm. conception i think so too i think you know because there is why are we trying to say God doesn't exist or science doesn't exist? Why can they coexist together and help each other in certain ways, right? Because I don't think that we can exist without science. I don't think humanity would be where we are today if we didn't have the smart people creating all this medicine and all this, you know, equipment and everything, right? But also there's God. I think religion is just so destructive. I have a very completely different view, and I feel like that's okay. We're talking about things that are forbidden, but um, like well, I they're, just, they're not forbidden. Just it's just like, like they say, don't talk about religion, don't talk about uh, politics. I just but uh, we are going to do yeah. that. I wanted to, I want to hear Isabella's. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't know. I mean, like for a while there, I was atheist. I think there's something out there, but I don't think it's like this human being. I think we're like so egotistical to think that it's a human mm. like Jesus. Like there's nothing disrespectful, but I just think no, that no, religion no. has caused so much harm. Of course. And I think when I was younger, I've had such a negative view of it. 
this one girl, she was Christian and she came to school with the Bible and she was like, if you don't read this every day, the devil's going to get you when you're going to go to hell. And as a kid, you believe these, I'm sorry, like fairy tales is what I think they are. And, um, I went home crying to my parents. I was like, we have to get a Bible. We're all going to burn in hell. And they were like, we're not going to force this religion on you or we're not going to force this on you. If you want to believe it, you can do what you want when you're older. And so now I look back on it and I'm like, it just scared the shit out of me as a kid. I think it can be really great. It builds a community. I've just had a very negative experience with it. So, And that's, and that's fine. Andrew, I'm curious, what was your relationship with religion and, and church growing up? Because you mentioned your mom was a hippie and your grandparents were Christian. So I'm curious, did you go to church growing up with your parents and did your mom um, take you somewhere? Was she more spiritual? And did you learn about that? Just wanted to know kind of how, how was that for you growing up? My grandparents took me to the Episcopal church in Aspen and I remember going to Sunday school. There was something that never really made sense to me. And I later, so what happened after doing international relations and having my sort of realization as far as moments that define us. Thanks. Sort of having this realization that like, oh my God, I'm not going to accomplish much as a U.S. Foreign Service agent in terms of really solving the world's problems, which is ridiculous that I think I could you know, do anything. I'm just one person. But what happened is I decided to transfer to Berkeley to the Graduate Theological Union and do a seminary degree. So I started researching like, well, also moments that define us. I had a vintage clothing and art boutique store in Aspen back in like 2007. I had lived in Spain before that, moved back here, was working at the St. Regis and then had this vintage clothing store. But while I was there, I had gotten ordained online by the Universal Life Church Monastery. So the Universal Life Church Monastery is just a bunch of hippies. You know, they used to advertise <laughs> in the Rolling Stone magazine. So they'll just ordain you. You know, you pay like $50 or whatever, and then you're ordained. So then I was like, oh, it'll be fun. I can marry my friends. I can perform marriages or whatever. Is What is ordained? Is that? Ordained. Ordination is like all ministers, priests are ordained. So because of United States religious laws, pretty much anything can qualify as a church. Look at Scientology. You gotcha. know, there's multiple. So anyways, the Universal Life Church is just like this totally open thing that's not it's like a church that's not a church but what happened is once i got ordained i started like feeling this responsibility and like i felt really unqualified i was like oh my god what does it even mean i'm ordained like i could perform somebody's marriage but oh, what is wild. so how do i become qualified so then i started like going online and looking like what does someone do to become qualified to be ordained and it's like oh you get a master of divinity so like a master of divinity degree is the professional degree that all pretty much Christian denominations require a minister to have. But I was already an agnostic, definitely not a Christian. Mm. I think of myself much more like an anthropologist. As we were talking earlier, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I think humans are self-defined intelligent with quotation marks around intelligent <laughs> hominids, right? So ultimately we are, we're a species of, um, yeah, I mean, we're the same, yeah, we're, 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 we're apes. We're part of the great ape family and we're very closely related to chimpanzees. Mm. And, you know, 
the fact that we call ourselves homo sapiens, which means wise man, is ridiculous. Like, I think that if, you know, if there is a, a race for or a competition for the dumbest species on Earth, humans are really right. high up there in the running. I mean, we're the only species on the planet that is destroying our life support system, that has buried nuclear weapons all over the planet, that is pretty much poisoning our water, poisoning our food, and poisoning each other. <laughs> yeah. Um, and having wars over ideas <laughs> about, you know, what God looks like. Right, right. Um, you know, you don't see geese doing that, for example. Speaking of humans and how stupid <laughs> we are, just the work that you do, and I'm, and I'm sure you see people from all walks of life, and with everything that's going on in the world now, do you have hope in humanity and that we're going to survive the stupidity of our of what we are? Yes. Thank you. Oh my goodness, yes. I mean, I'm I'm actually very hopeful. I'm like a, I, I'm a kind of an idealist. I think that ultimately what the science demonstrates is that humans are very good at being who we're taught we are. So if you look at the two largest religions on the planet, Christianity, number one, Islam, number two, between the two of them, there's, you know, three and a half billion plus adherents of these two religions. And there's really nowhere on earth that these two religions have not affected and exported their beliefs. I mean, you know, indigenous people in the Amazon are not free of these ideas or even like the Andaman Islanders on a remote island who have never been contacted by the outside world. I mean, certainly there's been numbers of things that have been dropped onto the island by anthropologists and stuff like people dropped from planes or whatever. Um, so both of those religions have a very similar idea about the beginning and they have a very common story about something called the end. Mm. So in seminary, you learn something about, uh, it's called eschatology. Eschatology is the study of the end times. So these Abrahamic mythologies that got cemented, they have a, a story about a coming apocalypse. Ultimately, the Bible is a, is a book that was composed very deliberately. It has a bunch of different authors, editors, People were writing in multiple languages. You know, Christians say, you know, Jesus comes to bring a new law. It says that in the New Testament. But if he came to bring a new law, it's ironic that the majority of the book is actually the Old Testament, which is the first five books of the Hebrew Bible, the Tanakh. Hmm. So the majority of the Bible is actually Hebrew religion. And there's this final chapter put on the very end of it called Revelation. And in Revelation, you have this final battle between Jesus. You know, Jesus is coming back and he has this final battle with evil. And then, you know, this is all wiped away and a new world is created, basically. And so if you believe the right story, you end up in the right place. And if you don't believe the right story, you're kind of not in good shape. But ultimately, I would say being that that is the story that has perpetuated itself across the world over the last 2000 years, predominantly, I would say it's no wonder that we have a society that is exploiting all resources as though there's no tomorrow <laughs> because the dominant mythology actually tells us that there is no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And our calendar in the West is, you know, it's basically a countdown clock, right? It says right. you know, it's 2023. 
well, 2023, since this guy was supposedly born. And, you know, ultimately it's the embedded in that calendar is the expectation that there's this end times moment coming. Mm-hmm. So I would say that that's, you know, that is social psychology and narrative psychology in action. So I think more, you know, the social sciences are my favorite. But I'm glad to so hear that you have hope in the humanity and that we are all going to survive and we're all going to be okay. That's the story. That's the story I think that we need. Yeah. If we ha- if we put ourselves back into the future, I think it would be much less likely that we would keep destroying the planet. If we had a narrative that basically said this is it. This is as good as it gets. <laughs> There's you know, we're not going to colonize Mars and find ourselves more comfortable there. Mm-hmm. Like this is as good as it gets for a terrestrial animal, which is what Homo sapiens is. You know, we are an earth-based hominid that's evolved to breathe this air that changes, you know, uh, over millennia. Uh, According to genetic sequencing, 800 million years ago, we have a common ancestor with an octopus. Oh, amazing. I thought octopuses were aliens, but apparently they are not. It's interesting. (laughs) I have another question based on this, you know, topic where things that like aren't technically supposed to be discussed, but we're discussing them. So I feel like there's a lot of talk about environmental issues and there's this um, kind of like extremist where I know my generation is experiencing it where it's like the world is going to end. We have 10 years left and we're going to run out of resources. Is that also kind of based in like religious thoughts? Yeah, that anytime if it sounds familiar, I think there's a good chance that it's the retelling of the same story, right? So it's like Big Bang cosmology. That's a retelling of, again, you know, there's a there's a belief that's embedded in the narrative. And yeah, you cannot read Yahoo News or Google News or almost any of the major mainstream news sources without some story coming across about, yeah, we're totally destroying the ecosystem. But you can go back to the 1970s and there was books being written saying the same thing from mm. the environmental movement, you know, uh, yeah, it just puts like, and I'm not saying I don't believe global warming or climate change isn't happening. I mean, we see it every day, but just this like anxiety and this pressure of if you don't do anything, like we're not going to have a tomorrow. And I know like our generation um, has experienced it and we see a lot of anxiety in us. And it's like, you know, why try to buy a house? Why try to do this? Like they told us it's all going to be over anyways. So. But I can argue that, I mean, it is scary what's happening. And Andrew, would be interesting to hear your thought on this, right? Because the global warming is happening and it's happening in a very fast rate, right? Because because we are abusing everything and it's not like your generation it's everybody right mm-hmm. abusing everything the 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 drilling you know the money becomes so much more important than the communities that we're creating and so nobody it's 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 almost like you watching your house burn down and you can do something but you choosing not to no i feel like they make it seem like you can't do anything but what that, can we do i mean yeah that's what, what can I... we do but I don't think it's necessarily up to you and me because we are such a small people. Why those big corporations that have so much power that they can do something choosing not to? Why are they abusing all of those resources and everything where they have 
the power to change and they choosing not to. It's it's not it's just the thought, right? But like why why aren't they doing anything? There are so many people and by people I mean like this big corporation that they can do something and then choosing not to. I can recycle, you know what I mean? I can recycle, I can I can do my little thing, right? I can choose to ride a bike versus my car and all of that, right? We can do, but and it's important that we do this, but I think they have so much more power and they purposefully choosing not to do it. So that's what's frustrating. Well, I think the big, I mean, my conclusion, I mean, Bill Gates just gave a talk at the UN General Assembly and he was saying, oh, there's no point in planting trees, basically, is what he was saying. Mm -hmm. There is somebody working on planting like a trillion trees and Bill Gates was like, oh, we're wasting our time planting trees. And what we should be doing is building carbon sequestration plants, you know, which is like massive. I mean, yeah, massive industry. So this is my my big question for people that call themselves scientists. I mean, I think big business is just addicted to making money. And the problem with the current situation is that most of these corporations are government subsidized. You look at some of the biggest and 100 years ago, Theodore Roosevelt, who was actually a Republican, was breaking up the big monopolies. And because basically democracy cannot survive when you have monopolized power. So there's certain amounts of wealth when you allow wealth to get so great that people can just buy up multiple industries. Mm. You can't. And instead of taxing Amazon, which is one of the wealthiest, biggest polluting companies on Earth, Amazon is being subsidized by the U.S. government to store our data. So, you know, Amazon Web Services is getting paid by taxpayer money. Oh, my God. And this this is the issue, right? I mean, Bill Gates is trying to advocate for more technology to solve the problems that technology created. There's no doubt whatsoever mm. that all of our environmental problems are a result of our addiction to power, light. You know, we love our devices and we love watching TV and all this stuff. You know, I have a very good friend who's a psychiatrist. He calls it the photon stream. He says we're addicted to the photon stream. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just so hard to look away. Um, and these technologies were actually designed to addict us and distract us because there's certain established interests that are not benefited from organized citizens you know when citizens organize we can really change things we can right but they do everything in their power to divide us to to give us this little toys i call them you know here you go it's like you know you give it to a kid where he has a tantrum here you go you know to distract them right and then they go and they play and they forget about it and i feel like the same is happening to us, right? They give us this little, you know, toys, the devices, whatever it is, and we just get distracted. And I don't know, it's... it's. I feel like these people in power are st stupider than we give them credit for. Like, we think that they're planning all this and they're trying <laughs> to, like, distract us and all this. I just think they're, like, trying to make money and they're stupid and they don't care like i i think we're giving them more credit than they deserve oh i don't give them shit but you know but they, for being like evil you know credit for yeah being able to like manipulate us i mean like social media and all that i mean i got my degree in that if people are paying attention 
then advertisers make money. So of course it would be addicting. Right. And then people that are behind it, there's so many people that are just trying to do their job and go home at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I want to switch to something lighter. <laughs> well, this is pretty good But this is, but Even this if you have to edit some out. I'm, this, this I'm not editing any of but, this, but um, I do want to talk more about the Open Mind Project and uh, the work you do and, and, and what, what you've been doing, how you've been reaching people and what successes have you had. And if you want to say anything from before to finish up, feel free to. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we maybe yeah, just, I, just want to, I just want to give a little dig uh, at Elon Musk, another person that I would agree with you is not that smart. Um, because ultimately what, you know, he is subsidized. He's made billions of dollars on electric cars because people get, you know, citizens are incentivized to buy these cars because you get tax breaks. And so it's made him a very, very wealthy man. And meanwhile, he's flying around the world on private jets all the time and launching rockets, which are spewing methane, which is a, a worse greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, directly into the atmosphere. And I would argue that this whole space, I mean, sorry, this is the, I'm not being a good open mind project guy because these are my opinions. They're not the opinions of the open mind project. Theoretically, the open mind project- We'll keep it separate. Should be, should be you know- all and you know we want to invite elon musk and bill gates and i mean because we are all in this together and our saying for a long time is that we're all in this together and i think the problem with you know massive wealth is it actually makes people feel super alienated and scared because when you have everything and everyone else has nothing you you know you feel like you have to do all the more to protect what you have Mm -hmm. but that comes at the expense of everyone else so i suppose the real argument is if we do better making things more equitable across the world, the wealthiest people will actually feel more secure, right? Because it's like, it doesn't matter that, you know, Jeff Bezos has 20 houses or whatever and the biggest apartment in New York and the biggest house in Washington, D.C. and the biggest yacht and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter that he has all that stuff. He still feels like he needs more. And that's that's the issue, right? It's like there's something inherently there's there's something that's not working here. It's mm. like if the more you have, the more insecure you feel. And the more you want. Is that like a monkey yeah. brain thing? Like we just want more and more and more squirrels? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we are. Yeah, we're closely related to squirrels, too. Um. So do you think so do you think they they want more because they they think that it would make them feel more secure the more they have or why? Because I always think. You know, sometimes I have this fantasy, right? Like, oh, if I win a lottery, what would I do, right? And my first thing goes to, like, I want to feed the homeless people because in Denver, I live in Denver, right? Like, the homeless population keeps growing and growing and growing. And me and Bella were talking about it on the way here, how all this big building, expensive million-dollar apartment coming up and the homelessness is going up, right? So I think, my gosh, would be so cool like if we can start this like van and and feed the homeless, just, I don't know, do something to where people can have food and clothes and all of that. That's what I think, but I, I didn't grow up with money, but like, I just um, am curious, what is your thought on that? Like, why do you think people that have so much, I mean, the money, there's billions that it doesn't even like register in my mind, why do why why do you need more if you have everything you can possibly have? I think Isabella is exactly right. I think we're not actually that smart a species. I think that we're very simple, and I think it's like an addiction. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think ultimately, like we're not capable. Like 
a billion dollars. I think it's like, I don't think we can really wrap our head around how much money that is. Like, because a million dollars is a lot. And yeah. having, if you have $10 million, you can do a lot. You can buy, you know, that's lots of houses, depending on which market you're talking about. And it's like, if you, if, I mean, in Aspen, it might only be one house, but. <laughs> a half of um, the house. <laughs> um, so, but, you know, it, these are, you know, massive numbers. And if you have your money, you know, if you have a billion dollars conservatively invested and you're getting 5% return a year, figure out what, you know, what's 5% of a billion dollars. I mean, it's like, what is it? 50 million or five? It's like $50 million a I wasn't year. good in math at school, so I don't so know. Yeah, Let's just say that. Again, I, I think that's the issue, right? It's like, it's just that we are like squirrels and we just, you know, it's like you just want to, you know. More, keep, more, more. Yeah, keep. When the more money you have, like the more work it is to take care of it. You know, you have this money in these accounts and you can't pull out one billion dollars because it's going to hurt whatever stock that is. You can't do that. And then you have people managing your wealth. Yep. And, and then, then you have, an, and yeah, then you an pay for those people yep. and then you have meetings and then it's just like it's like so much work to have all that money that it's like yeah, so then so you want much. more. And then a billion dollars grows so much faster than if I had a hundred dollars and I get five dollars a year versus 50 million. Like, holy Oh my god holy squirrel holy, holy squirrels i know um but open mind project what are yes. we doing what's so like what's going on out there we are we've been working on this thing called the healing arts initiative the last couple of years it started with these concert series we were sponsoring these i mean i i do the best i can to try to get the open mind project out into the world in places where i think we can make some difference so that means you know i'm spending a lot of time in washington dc and we've had global events. So there was something in Nigeria, Open Mind Project. You know, it's like our logo's on there. And it's right now there's something happening with the Healing Arts Initiative in Cairo and Alexandria, Egypt. And I was thinking of trying to go, but I just couldn't pull it together. It's a long way. But it's cool. It's so there's, you know, the brand is out there and it's it's around. It's getting around the world uh, on some level. That's positive because I think it is just about getting people from all backgrounds to the same place. It's like, let's go to the website. doesn't matter if you're a Christian, a Muslim, a Jew, an atheist, you can go there and learn something about whatever it is you already believe. Because I mean, and that that's the idea behind having a database of world religions. And then the goal is to raise money for, well, I've got two new interns in the DC area. And so, trying to get them working on, you know, doing some grant requests. But the goal is to have this like global film project where we have a film filmmaking team going out and just interviewing people from all backgrounds. Mm. So oh, that's like, cool. Uh, and then we would have those profiles online. So that like person would maybe send their friends and family to the website because it's like, hey, I'm on there. So then, you know, then their friends and family would go there. And then once they're in there, it's like they might be a Mormon. But, oh, here's a Buddhism portal and Here's an Islamic portal. And it's just like, let's all learn about the history of how our religions evolved and were created. Because if we really, I mean, my conclusion is that if we learn, you know, from a contextual perspective, how these religions came about, we're going to come away not as fundamentalists. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, people are learning fundamentalism from sort of radical religious teachers who I 
would suggest are being very irresponsible because they're not telling the truth. They're not telling the whole truth. So if you look at like a fundamentalist Christian, they're not telling their congregation that nothing that's written in the New Testament was written by anyone that knew Jesus. Literally, the first documents in the New Testament that were written from a historical perspective are Paul's letters. You know, mm. Paul was a persecutor of the early Christians, even by his own account, even though he calls himself an apostle, he was not one of the actual disciples of Jesus. And then, you know, the first four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, those were all written in Greek by Greek authors, you know, writing in Greek, you know, so they, they were given names of Jesus's actual disciples, but all of Jesus's disciples spoke Aramaic. <laughs> And none of them were writers. So none of them actually authored those gospels. And every Christian has a right to know these things. Right. That's because, interesting. Yeah. I think that the name of your organization is amazing. Open mind, right? Because we all believe in different things, either that's religious, politics, motherhood, whatever. But it's nice to have a conversation with somebody that has a different opinion than you. And you telling, they ask you, why do you believe in this? And you tell them, right? You don't tell them you have to believe in that, right? But you opening their mind to something different. They don't have to agree with you, but I think... Like the, the, I just love the name so much because, you know, people are so divided now, but not even divided. They are so violent in their words. And just if you don't believe what I believe, then you are bad. You are on the bad side. And if you don't do this, then you then that's not right. And I just think it's amazing what you're doing with that because religious, it's plays such a big part in, in, in our lives in one way or the other, religious spirituality. We all believe in something, right? We all believe in, in some higher power and whatever that may be for me might be God, for Bella might be a rock or a butterfly <laughs> or I, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's all this spiritual, but I think opening people's mind and saying, like you said, oh, they're Mormon, they come to my website and then they see, oh, there's something about, you know, Catholicism or something about Buddhism. Let me go and read. I don't have to turn into Buddha. I don't have to turn into Muslim or, or what, you know, but I just can look and open my mind to that. So I yeah. think it's amazing. I have a question. I think it's incredible, but I'm just curious because when people are stuck in their ways, they're stuck in their way. And if they go to a website and they read something, they're going to be like, that's wrong. How do you get people to open their mind? Good question. Well, I hope my hope is that to give them that contextual education and to, mm -hmm. I mean, so the, the goal for the open mind project is to teach critical thinking skills. So in, in that respect, I mean, for me, critical thinking and science are completely aligned. There's no such thing as science without critical thinking. And I think a lot of times what's happening now, and I have a Buddhist mentor who, I mean, I don't identify as Buddhist either, but like I got involved with these, with Buddhist practice. When I was in Christian seminary, I was spending a lot of time at the center of Buddhist studies. Amazing. Because <laughs> I needed a little relief from like the constant, you know, monotheism yeah. and everything. So I spent a lot of time learning meditation and had this, you know, one teacher was a Bhante Silwimala. He taught me Buddhist meditation practice and he's wearing robes. You know, he's, he's been a monk since he was nine years old. And paradoxically, I'm half Greek, 
Greek Orthodox on that side of my family. Me too. My little brother is a monk, a Greek Orthodox monk who lives at Mount Athos. So I got to go visit him Wild. in 2019 right before COVID and actually stayed at the monastery. They gave me his like monk's room from when he was originally there. And like I was drawing all these parallels between Chinese Orthodox Buddhism and Greek Orthodox Christianity. I mean, it's crazy, like Chinese Orthodox Buddhism, like the, the halo around Buddha's head and the depictions of, you know, are the same as it's like the same halo. The monks wake up almost at the same time in the middle of the night. I think like the Greek Orthodox, they wake up at 3.30 a.m. The Chinese uh, Buddhist, Orthodox Buddhists, they wake up at like 3.30 and they do their, their chants and their meditations. And it's like, of course, the chants and the meditations are totally different, but it's like they're both in this uh, spiritual realm and reality. And I'm, I mean, it's beautiful what's happening at Mount Athos. Mm. Um, my grandmother would not approve at all because women aren't allowed on the Holy Mountain. But I these, love your grandma. But these guys are celibate, right? So it's like, you know, they're trying to, they're trying to be married to some spirituality and, and do this practice. So from in that context, you know, if I was a monk trying to be celibate, like I suppose it would be helpful not to have women around. I mean, from that perspective, yeah. <laughs> but although that doesn't work for people that are attracted to the same sex and there's nothing wrong with that either. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, I just, I don't know if I even want to go there, but yeah, um, fair enough. I was going to ask, can we go? I was just going to ask, cause I found out something recently with Christianity that when they say like, okay, gays, like man and man should not sleep together is actually man shall not sleep with child. Is that actually what it was and then they changed it to man shall not sleep with man because they were embarrassed that their priests were sleeping with children i don't know no okay that, that was something I that i like the... saw research about recently so christianity it's not that they don't accept man shall not sleep with man it was just originally was man shall not sleep with child and then they changed it research as far know. as i know <laughs> in the new testament the words of jesus so i mean of course again we should take everything with a grain of salt because mm -hmm. we don't the the authors the authorship but in the in the new testament as written and the words that are put in jesus's mouth i don't think he says anything against homosexuality like as the character mm -hmm. jesus there's certain i think paul again paul had some hang-ups i don't think god is against i think god is to me god is love right and if you choose to love if you're a woman, you choose to love a woman. If you man, you choose to love a man. Or if you choose to love both. I think love is God. And I think it's humans who created this, quote-unquote, rules of the church, right? Or if you this, you can come to church. We can marry you. And, and not even church. Like the bakery said, I'm not going to serve you a cake because you're gay. Just angers me. But, you know, again, everybody have their own opinions and stuff, but... I do think that people should have open mind. Yeah, that's, well, that's very personal, right? What people do in their... And, and I don't know that it's a choice. I mean, I think like people's sexual orientation, as far as I know, it's like, I don't, you know, I'm, I don't like it. choose who I'm attracted to or who I'm not attracted. It's like, we're just, you know, attraction is something. Yeah. And it, the, the odd thing, I mean, just again, science there, I think there's in every species, they've found some examples of homosexuality. And mm. so it's just like, some, you know, some pairs of frogs for whatever reason. I mean, they don't, re there are pieces of pair of frogs that don't reproduce, but, you know, they might pair off with the same sex frog. So, you know, 
it's just a that yeah that should be part of that's personal like you said so that should not be part of you know religion like that's who i choose to love it's none of any politician or priest business you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so on a science side um uh, because you mentioned covid and i just wanted to <laughs> Uh, you know, religion, science, and we just came out of this pandemic. And I think we're still in it, but we can better deal with it, right, with everything. But I just wanted to know, what are your thoughts on what happened during COVID and why this specific pandemic? Because we had pandemic like throughout, you know, our lives. Well, not maybe my, but, you know, before there was a lot of different pandemics. Why do you think this one was so crazy, so politicized so like you know vaccine was coming and people were fighting tooth and nails of not doing it like just wonder what are your thoughts on that this was an example of viral capitalism the uh, largest corporate fine ever paid by a u.s corporation i think happened within a six months or a year before the coronavirus uh, outbreak and it was paid by 3M, the company 3M, which makes, as you know, a lot of uh, PPE, personal protective equipment, mm-hmm. hand sanitizer, face masks. They manufacture that stuff. Well, they also make forever chemicals. So they had to pay this fine because mm-hmm. of Teflon, right? So Teflon was, was has been giving people cancer for a long, 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 long time. So again, I, I believe and, you know, double check this, that it was the largest corporate fine ever imposed by the U.S. government. You know, they had to pay billions of dollars or something. And then not even a year later, U.S. government is subsidizing the company and giving them billions of dollars, buying all of the personal protective equipment to, you know, protect everyone. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying there's a direct, I'm, I mean, I, and Here's what I know from, you know, and it's hard to find accurate information out there, but the National Institute of Health funded the Wuhan laboratory to the tune of, I think, 11 to $15 million for specifically doing gain of function research on bat coronaviruses to make them more contagious and more, so gain-of-function research had been illegal for a time under Obama, and then they changed it again. But yeah, gain-of-function research basically means science, uh, you know, scientists are editing genes in viruses to make them either more contagious or more deadly. And they're saying that they're doing this so that they can come up with cures or vaccines. But it's very difficult to keep, you know, the cat in the bag. Right. And... So we know that the U.S. government was funding the Wuhan lab. There was also, in 2019, the military games, the eighth annual military global military games. That was held in October, October 18th, 2019, in Wuhan, China. So, you know, if there was an accidental or not accidental release of this virus, uh, it would have very quickly been spread around the world. And um, there was a Washington Post article on, you know, uh, basically asking about that military games and saying this needs to be studied. We need to find out whether any of these military people came back and had antibodies because it was just not looked at. 
And yeah, again, I mean, there just seemed like a lot of misinformation happening. And, and ultimately, it, it looks to me like, you know, a uh, coronavirus is, as then double check this, as far as I know, coronavirus has caused 25%, approximately 25% of the common cold, of the sicknesses that people exhibit, the, the symptoms of quote unquote, the common cold, mm-hmm. 25% of those are caused by coronaviruses. But mm-hmm. then there was this very specific coronavirus in 2019, which had these spike proteins, which you don't see in any other coronavirus, which makes it unique. And that, that's why they thought it came from an animal uh, host. And, and it is, it's amazing that this, you know, it, it spread from humans to deer. COVID-19 is in deer population. So basically, like, somehow this particular virus is spreadable from one uh, species of mammal to another quite easily. Of course, bats are also mammals, as we know. Mm. So, Why do you think people were so against vaccines? Remember the beginning, it was so bad. I mean, people were dying like flies in Europe and then came here. And I mean, just was horrible, you know? And then vaccines started to come out. But why do you think here in U.S. people were so against vaccines? I think there was a lot of... I don't think everyone was against vaccines. There was a lot of people against... Remember, there, there were protests even in Denver against nurses. And I remember even in Denver, you know, unmask and just screw this. Yeah, yeah. Corona is a hoax. And, you know, this vaccine is trying to put chip on us. And all of this craziness was happening. From nurses. I mean, from nurses' perspectives. I definitely understand why they wouldn't want a COVID-19 vaccine because almost all of them were for sure exposed to COVID-19 already. I mean, because they're working in hospitals like it's so if you've already been inoculated for something, why would you need to get a vaccine for it? You don't need to get a vaccine for something that you already had because the nat you know, you have natural immunity by that time. So I certainly would understand from their perspective why they wouldn't want to take it. Because, you know, they're medical professionals and they understand that, you know, and also, of course, it's like we're dealing with, you know, pharmaceutical companies that have a history of poisoning us. You know, mm-hmm. these are pharmaceutical companies that make fentanyl, which is killing, you know, 100,000 plus Americans a year. And it's like suddenly we're supposed to trust them, you know, with an experimental vaccine that, you know, was invented because of a fast track pushed through by Donald Trump and, you know, funded by the taxpayer dollars. I mean, you know, our our national debt has been growing exponentially and lots and lots of that money has been going to fund, you know, pharmaceutical companies that Mm. one might argue don't really need the money. Do you think Trump has anything to do with, you know, how he was saying that Corona is a hoax? Do you think he had a big influence on people? Yeah, but I mean, he was saying that on, on one hand, but then on the other hand, he was funding all the vaccines. I mean, it was his program. He was great president. So I, <laughs> I don't put a lot of, I mean, I, I, I don't think he's proved himself to be a very trustworthy individual. So I was just kidding. I was just <laughs> kidding. I don't, I think he's not okay, but, um, but it's like, so if, if a trust, if an untrustworthy, if someone has proved themselves untrustworthy and then they're telling you to take something or you're, they're like, you know, this is our fast track, you know, you know, I, I understand why people would be hesitant to uh, to take a shot of something that they don't really understand. And the company that made it has been given a liability waiver 
against any, you, you know, you have to hold this company harmless. You can't sue them if you get sick or you can't sue them if your son gets some kind of, you know, paralysis or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, yeah, I think it makes sense. I'm, I'm very libertarian in that respect. I don't think people should be forced to, uh, to do anything. Their bodies should be there, you know. No, you know, it's like you talk about needles and something in a in a vial. You know, if somebody doesn't want to take something, if I was the president, I wouldn't make people take anything. It's like I understand. And I think people are more and more scared now that the the sad thing is that, you know, there's all these vaccines that are historically very good. Measles, mumps, rubella. Now people are like not taking those because they stopped trusting everything because mm-hmm. they were pressured to take something that I think it's actually rational to not take because obviously like by the time the vaccine came out, most of the people that were dying from COVID had already died. And most, you know, most people have been exposed to the virus. Yeah. It was such an interesting debate with people because it's like, well, look, we don't get, you know, this disease anymore or that. And, you know, just my thought, I am think that people should get vaccinated because I was like, well, the reason we don't get in that shit is because somebody created a vaccine and we have it. Right. And we're not dying from that anymore. Anyway, I just want to hear your thoughts. I agree. Corona was such a, you know, such a dark time in. And I think it's changed the way we we live and and think because it was so dark so i just you know because you science and you know you're in the science and into religion so i just wanted to hear your perspective on that maybe it's being raised by my grandparents i'm very old-fashioned it's just like i am not i don't think locking people up locking people you know telling people they can't go to work all you know all my grandparents were very pro-vaccine i was i was given every single vaccine but i tell you i was always sick as a kid Mm. like they gave me every single shot you could possibly imagine. I got all the shots, but I was also really, really sick as a kid. So, um, yeah. And, um, anyways, uh, but uh, yeah, locking, lockdowns, that that all unprecedented. Uh, we had some good things come out of it, though. Tiger King, you know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Tiger King. Was Did that you, the? That was during. My husband was watching that. Tiger King was that. That was the Netflix series where the guy like from Oklahoma. Tires. Oh, I was thinking of Tiger Blood. Um, oh no, <laughs> Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Do you that, that also came out. That? Oh no, that was when Charlie Sheen was having his kind of meltdown. He was yeah, you know. Tiger King, but um, yeah. Oh, Tiger King. Yes, Tiger King. I, yes, yeah. This guy yes, from yes, Oklahoma, yes, remember, course, with yes. a very cool haircut. Yep. My cousin actually met him. She said she knew um, Carol Baskin. And that she was a bitch. So, <laughs> is Tiger King still in jail? I don't know. Didn't they come out with a season two I don't from know. jail, from prison or jail or whatever? You interesting. Anyways, um, okay. But with the Open Mind Project, do you go to these places? Do you speak about it? Is that how you get people interested? Is there like you know one-on-one sessions? Uh, I've given talks at different, like at EarthX. I spoke at EarthX last year. EarthX is a big environmental conference in Dallas. Uh, I've spoken at the American Renewable Energy Conference. I gave a talk on the Abrahamic myth and environmentalism. I mean, basically the apocalyptic myth, you know, specifically the apocalyptic myth and sustainability. Arguing what we were talking about earlier, basically saying, you know, how do you motivate people to care about the future if they've been taught that there isn't one? Um, or if the, the future is, you know, on some out there somewhere in a 
heavenly realm. Um, and early Christian, amazingly, there's a, there's a book called Saving Paradise. Um, and early Christian depictions of heaven are actually very earthly. So like it was just like naked people running around in a garden. Like that was their concept of heaven. So, it, but ultimately we could argue that it was longing for hunter gatherer lifestyle and tribal spirituality. And that, you know, most of these monotheistic religions had grown up out of um, empire and agricultural sort of warlike uh, empires, you know, mm -hmm. that always need more land and you're exploiting and you have to have an army and it's really scary and there's slavery. So yeah, I, I, I do give talks. I once went and talked at your, uh, yeah, you talked to my classroom. When? In high school, I was in my religion class. That was cool. I remember that. Yeah. How, how do you remember that, Andrew? How did, how did the kids at school take your talk? I think there was some good discussion if I remember correctly. It made us think differently, and I think you're in high school, so you can kind of process it, but I think, like, we still needed time to process it because you're not exposed to everything else that's going on in the world. You opened their mind. Yeah. Open Hope mind. so. That's the goal. Yeah, I remember being really cool. The, we could call it the critical thinking project, but yeah. that has been open mind is so much nicer than critical thinking. Oh my gosh. You know, now with the word critical, critical thinking and critical, you know, racier and all of that, anything critical is like, oh no, you right. poisoning us. So now <laughs> it's good to think critically. Um, well, we had such a good talk on all these different topics. And I thank you so much for not being afraid to go into, you know, those quote unquote forbidden topics, religion and politics and COVID and vaccine and all of that. I think it's, again, it's good. We, you know, we might not agree on stuff, but it's, it's good to hear other people's opinions. So can you tell our listeners where they can find you an open project and uh, maybe where they can donate, just how people can reach Open Mind Project? Yes. Good thinking. Thank you so much openmindproject.com or openmindproject.org will take you there. That's www.openmindproject.org. And there's a donate button on there and we would love your support. Yeah. Come check, check out the database. We're working on updating the website. It's the functionality is, is not uh, where I'd like it to be. And also there's thousands more religions that need to be added. So I'm looking for a new intern, always a new intern or maybe a new admin. We'll see. Got work to be done. It's an incomplete project. Okay. And we'll put in our um, episode description, we'll put the, the website, uh, Open Mind Project. We put that so anybody can go there and, you know, support and donate. And also if you want to be an intern, you can yeah reach out reach out to us reach yeah. out to him andrew at openmindproject.com well thank you so much this has been so cool um as always if anybody else has any amazing stories or they know any cool people that should be on our show reach out to us at moments that define us at gmail.com or you can visit our website at www.momentsthatdefineus.com or any of our social media channels and that handle is moments that define us Andrew, thank you for providing the studio for us. Thank you for having us on your radio station, uh, KSNO. And uh, thank you for, for talking on our podcast. We really appreciate it. Such a pleasure to have uh, been here. So thank you so much for asking me. Too. Thank you.
Thank you. We talk to you all next time. Thank you. Bye, Irina. Bye, Bella. Just a little context. After we finished interviewing Andrew, we asked Andrew why so many people support Trump, and it got super juicy. So I pressed record. Enjoy the bonus. The, the most successful reality show in American history is The Apprentice. So think about all the people that watched that show, all the time they gave to it. So ultimately, they were, they're believing in this myth, you know? So it's, it's so hard to get people to stop. They gave their time. They think he's like really a great businessman, even though it's a character that he played, and it's definitely not true. But like, anyways. The... So here is what I want to say where I'm not open-minded, um, because you are very kind to say we have to have a lot of compassion. It's very hard for me, and I'm not saying, I'm just talking about the extremist, right? The extremist. It's very hard for me to have compassion for people that are saying that somebody's life doesn't matter, that these people should, should die. If police killed a black man, that, oh, he deserved that. Because there are a lot of extremists that support this man uh, until this day, and this man did a lot of horrible things. So it's very hard for me to have compassion for somebody who supports him and who say that somebody's life doesn't matter, that this person doesn't deserve to eat, this person did it to them. It's just, it's hard, and it's very hard for me to be open-minded about that. How would you make her open-minded about it? It doesn't have to make me open-minded, but, you know, it's, I, I, don't, I don't know, it's just very hard for me to be open-minded to that. I think that you would have an easier time convincing them that they should not have confidence in the orange man if you understand their perspective and their passion. I mean, so, yes, they might be really bigoted and, and closed-minded, these people and and hateful but they've been taught to be that right so they've been conditioned and so if if we think scientifically and we understand ourselves as a species then we we have to acknowledge that in general it's very difficult to not be who we've been taught to be so they've been taught to be trump supporters right and and, and i don't yeah to, i don't think it's them to blame right because i i agree with you 100 percent, right when you when you are taught something and you are not logical, you're emotional and you are very close-minded, I get it. It's it's the it's this sort of like I don't know bubble they live in, right? This this hateful. But bubble. then they're like, they are fed this information yeah. that aligns with what they're thinking and that aligns that he's the good guy, so if that makes sense. So oh, like that, the that, Fox, that the whatever the news they're watching is like everybody else is out to get him and like it kind of makes you feel like oh he was like he's right and everybody's out to get him and we live in this world where nothing you read is right which is true which that's true i agree with you but i am not open-minded to that and i am not interested in having conversation with somebody who is hateful like we can agree we can disagree on things we can disagree on abortion on on all the on other things right but if you saying that this person deserves to die i'm not interested in in your opinion no and i i think most people are more alike than they realize my dad actually told me this um maybe you andrew told him but like when you talk to people <clears throat> like people that um with like abortion i'm very pro-choice but somebody that's pro-life we both believe that life is valuable. So you have to kind of connect on that level. Like 
if you dig deeper, you still have the same values at the core that we both value life. So it's hard, but you have to, like, I feel like most people have the same values as just separate. I don't know. Does that make sense? The power of propaganda. This is, I mean, it's yeah. also our media. If you think about, I think Trump would never have happened if it wasn't for that Breaking Bad show. Breaking Bad, The Sopranos, The Godfather. So when we make a hero out of a criminal, you know, so this this idea that we're inverting, yeah, we're we're making heroes out of crooks. Yeah. And and that's that's Trump, right? I mean, the guy just he's a very he's not even a good liar. He just all he does is lie, it seems. But there's something in our society that's just attracted to that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and maybe it's even sort of that angry God concept, that angry judgmental God concept that like says you have to worship me and you can't worship any other gods before me. And so it's like there's just this programming and conditioning. Mm-hmm. And if we're ever going to get to a place where we can hopefully build a better world, it just seems like we're going to have to we're going to have to be willing to listen and love those people who are so full of hate and like we can love them more by understanding that like they're not bad people they've just been really taught badly <laughs> they you know it's they they've been systematically mistaught miseducated so that they're just like yeah, it's like unfortunate, but like in order to change, you have to have compassion for those people, even though it's really hard. You have to have compassion for them to get through to actually have a conversation with them. That's the idea. Yeah, that's the idea.